Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Lord God, we do thank you so much for the privilege to be able to gather here together to open up your word. Lord, we are here for one reason, and that is to worship you. Lord, we do that through singing. We do that through prayer. We do that as we open up your word, and we ask that you speak to us through what you have already prepared. Lord, I pray personally that you would use me this morning, Lord, just to convey the message that you've already begun to prepare our hearts to receive this morning. So, Lord, I thank you for that. And in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, the last time we were together, we were in Joshua chapter 2, and we saw that the Israelites were preparing to go over into the promised land, the land of Canaan. Now, they hadn't been told how they were going to cross over the river. They had just been told that they would go in, and God reminded them that it has been, it's a land that has been promised to them, and their ancestors have passed down. And he says, oh, I promised Abraham, I promised Asap, Asap, not Asap. It's Isaac and Jacob together somehow, that's all the way down, and uh, to your fathers also it was promised, and they had the opportunity to go, but because they were too afraid of what they were facing, they didn't go, and so now it's to you. You're going to go. He reminds them that this is the time to go in, and then he says, and I'm going to go before you, and he says, and I will be behind you, and I will be in the middle of all of it, which we're going to see today, which is so cool. He says, I'm going before you, I'm going behind you, I'm going to be in the middle of it, I'll be above you and below you and underneath you and all around you, and I will go wherever you go, I go, and whatever you do, do, I'm with you in that also. I just wrote that on my whiteboard in my office as my verse to remember this morning, where he says in Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, don't be afraid and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God goes with you wherever you go. Wow. Thank you. I'll hold on to that one. He says, you're going in. You would think that as they're there, this, you know, 40 years presence of a cloud, uh, a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire representing God's presence in their camp still with them. You, you would think that that would give them some confidence in that you are going to go into this land and not only go into it, remember, they still don't know how they're going to cross the river. He, he, he holds that back until the last minute. You're going to cross. We're going to cross over the river, and we're going to see they're looking at this river that is overflowing its shores, like rushing by, and they're looking at it like, okay, but how? And God just says, we're going to cross it. Okay, but how? We're going to cross it. <laughs> Trust me. You would think that they would have confidence or belief in his promises that he that that they would that that would be strong. However, I know the promises of God and I have known his presence in my life, and still there are days when my belief is shaky. Is that just me? Anybody else? Just me and those five people, right? And and Jan, wherever. I'm sure there were at least a couple of people 
within the group of Israelites who were unsure just how all of this was going to work out. Well, as we saw in the story, just to be sure everything was cool over there, Joshua sent in two spies, remember? And he says, go in and check out the land and especially that city of Jericho, which, by the way, was just on the other side of the river. So the two spies go in, they sneak into the city of Jericho, and they hide out at the home of a harlot named Rahab. And she tells them that all the inhabitants of the land have witnessed the power of God on behalf of the Israelites, and they are all greatly distressed. Hearing this, the spies return to Joshua with this report. The land is still filled with great armies and still filled with great walled cities. But they say their report is this, truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint hearted because of us. They come back and they say, it's still a land that's filled with mighty armies and great walled cities, just as our fathers were afraid of. But they are afraid of us because God is with us. Well, maybe you're thinking, that's fine for them back then. But what about for me right now? Did you know that the Bible has several names for Jesus? If you go into Isaiah chapter 9, you'll see that they, it was prophesied that his name would be called Wonderful, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In Isaiah 6, it says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Do you know what Emmanuel means? What's it mean? You know it. God with us. God was with them, and so they could not be afraid. Um, For you now, God is with you because Jesus came. His name means God with us. I love what, what Ashley just prayed. You have some burdens, you have some troubles, you have some things weighing him down. Come and lay him down on Jesus. Jesus says, take off your yoke and put on mine. That's not to say, here's, here's something else to worry about. He's saying, no, I will bear the weight of the burden. Just attach yourself to me. Be with, you know, if you're, if you're yoked to another animal, you're with that animal, especially if that animal's the stronger one. If that animal goes over here, that weaker animal went there. When you're yoked to Christ, he's the stronger. You're with him. He's with you, bearing the burden. Who has burdens? Anybody? Whoa! Let me make... Make a note of that. (laughs) If you could just let me know one at a time, we'll get through this this morning. We'll pray for those. We have burdens. Jesus says, give them. Give them to me. I can handle it. I can handle your burden. I was recently touched by something that I saw, um, and I posted it on the bulletin board. It's like a, a flow chart for what to do when someone offends you. This is very helpful. Basically, the flow chart says, someone offends me at the top. Now you have two choices. I can go and vent it all to my friends, or I can take it right to Christ. And on, it goes down the chart, and it says, oh, I can take it to God. And what God does is he gives me his perspective, which is better. And then he gives me his peace. 
and then I have perfect peace about the whole situation. Or I can go and I can vent it to my friends over here, and in doing so, what I can do is cause them to start negatively about the person who offended me, and then they start to join in in the negative talk about the person, and then what I've accomplished is not only have I sinned, but I've caused them to sin also. And at the end result, it's all just a bunch of disobedience and sin. I'll go the other way. I'm going to say, oh, and I have this burden. This person has offended me. Here, Jesus. And he's like, I got it. Come on. And she's like, oh. And then, and then he says, you know what? Here, here, just get up on my shoulders. And then, and then he's just carrying you. Because really, you know, you ever seen that footsteps poster? You know, Lord, where were you? There was only one set of footprints. Well, that, well those are mine. I was carrying you. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so, what made the Israelites confident that they could go in and overcome all that stood in their way was the knowledge that God was with them. It hasn't changed. God is with us. After hearing this report from the spies that had come back from the city of Jericho, Joshua moved all of the people to the banks of the Jordan River, which is where we're going to pick up today in chapter 3. So let's go ahead and let's turn over there to Joshua chapter 3. In verse 1 it says, um, Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from the Acacia, set out from Acacia Grove. And that, you know, coming from a place of like communities with names, that sounds like a nice place. That sounds like Acacia Grove. And came to the Jordan, and he and all the children lodged there before they crossed over. So you understand, we're going to find out in just a couple of verses that the Jordan River, which is normally this gentle kind of meandering river, at this time of year is so full of water and so rushing fast that it is overflowing its banks. And it goes from uh, a river that is kind of passable on normal times to a half a mile wide of rushing water, which you would look at and say, there's no way we're going to be able to cross over, especially with two and a half million people. There they are, sitting there, looking at something that is, to them, unpassable. They will never be able to get over this river, and yet God has said, you're going to go over. And it's almost like God has almost like ignored that part of it. He's like, you're going to cross over, and when you get in there, I'm going to be with you. And they're like, but there's this big obstacle that has to be overcome. So they're, going to be, they're camped there. They're camped there for three days. Looking at this river for three days, they're sitting there looking for this river, and now they, they have a choice. Either they sit there and wait with great anticipation of something marvelous that God is about to do, or they sit there fearful over what is in front of them that seems overwhelming. They can sit there and say, this is great. I can't wait to see what amazing thing God does. Or they can sit there and say, how are we ever going to, how are we ever going to do this and become overwhelmed with fear? So in which of these two are you most often finding yourself? Are you more often sitting in fear, wondering how am I going to get through? I already asked how many of you had burdens. It's like all y'all. Are you sitting there saying, how am I ever going to get through this? Or are you sitting there just in anticipation of the amazing thing that God's going to do to get you through it? Listen, I'm not, uh, I'm not judging you. I you know, often find myself in that same place, sitting there saying, how are we ever going to 
How are we going to do this? How do we accomplish this? How are we going to do this? That's because, well, honestly, it's because I'm prideful. And I think I must do it myself rather than to say, I just want to see what God's going to do. He's going to do, there's no way that they would have done what they what ended up having in this without God. God said, however you think you would have done it, I'm going to do it a thousand million times more incredible. Just wait and see. They were given instructions in the very next verse, which actually was an encouragement. Look at verses two and three. It says, so it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of your Lord, of the Lord, your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. The ark of the covenant was the visual representation of God's presence in the camp with them. And he says, this is what you're going to do. When you see the presence of God in the ark go before you, do what? What does it say? Follow after it. Go after it. That's the encouragement. You know what? You are in a place of, of, of fear. You're looking at a burden, an obstacle in front of you, and you don't know how to, what to do. Wait and let God lead. Joshua said, follow after God. Just follow after it. It's hard, right? Because sometimes that takes three days of waiting, looking at an obstacle. Sometimes it takes three months of waiting and looking at an obstacle. And you're like, well, God, when's this promise going to be fulfilled? And you remember, remember when he said to Abraham, I'm going to give you a child a promise. And it was kind of taking a little while. And then Abraham was like, Man, what's taking so long? You know what? Maybe what God meant was I was supposed to sleep with my wife's maid. I think that's what God must have meant. And so that's what he does. And, they, and she bears a child. And then he takes that child, Ishmael, and he goes to God and he says, God, how about this? And God says, but that's not my promise fulfilled. You're, you're trying to fulfill my promise through your flesh. Waiting on God is hard because... Well, you know, we live in a microwave age. And I ask God, God, clearly there's an obstacle. God, can't, can't you see the obstacle? Just push the buttons or whatever and let's get this done. And God says there is power and purpose sometimes in the waiting. In verse 4 he says, Yet there shall be space between you and it and two, about 2,000 cubits by measure and do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go. He says to them, when the ark goes up before you, still, by the way, hasn't told them what's going to happen with all the water. Still hasn't told them that part yet. So says, when the ark goes, I want you to keep a distance between you and the ark, about 2,000 cubits, and that's about mm, three-fifths of a mile, 300 yards right? Keep that much distance between you and it. And that's interesting to me. But then when you really think about it, think what's going on here. God is saying, you're going to be led by the ark is going to show you the way, but I want everybody to be able to see it. So stay back far enough that you can let everyone see the ark in its place, the visual representation of the presence of God. Let everybody be able to see that. So stay back but don't go so far away that you can't see it the entire time. 
right? Because imagine everyone crowd, like the, the first 40 people crowd around the ark. No one else could see it. No one, they're just, well, I guess they're just following the other people. Rather, God says, rather than follow the person ahead of you, which never really works out good, does it? He says, you keep the presence of God in view and you follow after that. Keep some distance, he says. Now, that's not to say, now don't, don't go down the road where it's like, well, we have, is there a certain amount of distance that we're supposed to keep from God? Do you know it's actually in this place where it says 3,000 yards, 2,000 cubits. This is the place where the, the Jews after this decided that that was the length of, of space that they could go on the Sabbath. 2,000 cubits was the amount of space that they could travel away from their home based on, on this verse. I think God is saying, well, no, it's, it's about being able to f- always see and follow the ark, the presence of God, following God, not just following the person in front of you. He goes on and he says, uh, for you have not passed this way before. You've not come this way. Joshua reminds them that they are headed into the unknown. Do you know what's cool about the unknown to me? Is that it is known to God. And that's who I'm following. Well, he says, follow God because you've not gone this way before. You're going into the unknown. So if you're going into the unknown, follow the one who it's not unknown to. Follow God. That's the, be- the best way to go someplace you have never been is on the heels of the Lord. How many of you are feeling like you're going into uncharted territory with this burden in your life. You're facing something that you've never faced before. You're going into a place where you've never been before. You've never had to deal with this before. And that part is making you very anxious. And he says, go into unknown territory on the heels of Jesus. He says, and Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. That's actually a pretty cool verse. What he says to them is prepare your hearts, focus your attention on God because even though you don't know what it's going to be, he's going to do something amazing. God is going to do something amazing. You know, and, and he does, we're going to see, he does something incredible. Fix your eyes upon Jesus, we sing. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Sanctify yourself, prepare your hearts and focus on God. You know, I guess what he's saying is, If you are focusing on God, you're much less likely to be focused on the obstacle. Then Joshua spoke to the priest saying, take up the ark of the covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the ark of the covenant and they went before the people. And I think if I was one of those priests and I've hoisted now the ark up under my shoulder and I'm headed and down in front of the people and I'm still thinking, I still don't know how we're going to get across this river. I still don't know. But they pick up the ark and they just start going one step at a time towards a river that is overflowing its banks in front of the people, trusting that the Lord is going to do 
something amazing, something wondrous. And the Lord said now to Joshua in verse 7, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that I was with Moses, and as I, so I will be with you. And so he tells Joshua on the side, I'm going to do something that's going to blow their minds, and they're going to, they're going to recognize that as I was with Moses all of that time, I will now be with you also, Joshua. Then he says, you shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Now, it doesn't go on there, but what I believe, because he shares the rest of it in just a minute, is that God gives him the whole plan to Joshua right there. But he says, tell the priest to go down and stand in the river. Again, this is a rushing by them river overflowing its banks. And he's going to go and say, okay, here's what you're going to do. Just walk in. Go walk into the river. And so in verse 9, it says, so Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord. And Joshua says, by this, you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will, dry, um, he will without fail drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. And what he says in that verse is, when you see the amazing thing that he does to get you across the river, then you know that he has the power to defeat all of these armies that you are going to come upon. There's a similar story to this in the gospel where Jesus, they lower a man down before Jesus in a house on a, on a bed. He's a paralytic man and his friends can't get to Jesus. And so they lower him down. And Jesus says to this man, your sins are forgiven. And everyone's like, <gasps> all the Pharisees are like, oh, he's just forgave sins. He can't do that either. God. And so Jesus says, look, so that you know that I have the divine power to forgive sins, which you can't see, I'm going to do something that you can see. So the one you can see will verify that I have divine power. And so he heals the man in front of them to say, if I can do this, then you know I can do this. And this is what Joshua says, so that you know that he has the great power to overcome all of these mighty armies that are in the land that you're going towards. He's going to do something amazing right before your eyes right here. Then he says, behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribe of Israel, one from every tribe that will come back to why. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests, notice the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of, the, of all the earth, shall rest in the water of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. That's amazing. I don't know how much you guys know about water. It doesn't stand in a heap all on its own naturally. Now we're going to come back to that. And so I'm thinking at some point there's some like, what did he just say? Did, if you're the priest, you're like, we're supposed to go in the river? Have, has, has he seen the river? Has he seen the golden box that we're carrying? It's heavy. We're just supposed to go in and stand in the river. And then he tells the people, when they go in, you follow. And so it was. 
when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped into the edge of the water for the Jordan overflowed its banks during the whole time of harvest that the waters came down from upstream and stood still and arose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaratan. Okay. Something I noticed when he says, he says when the soles of the feet of the priests are in the water, he, that's what he tells them, to go make sure and, and stand in it. But this shows right here that all they had to do was dip their toe. And the moment they dipped their toe in the water, God stopped the water. And it was as if God rewarded their faithfulness. I said, I told you you had to step in with your sole of your foot. That means this. But as soon as they dipped their toe in and showed the faithfulness to God that they could do it, he honored that. And it says that the water stopped. Now you have to imagine. Imagine this in your mind. This really big river rushing down in front of them. The priests come, they're holding the ark, and they come and they dip their toe in, and all of a sudden the water goes, it starts to pile up right here. It runs down here. It says it just ran out downstream, but upstream, it starts to pile up into a heap of water. Do you know what a heap of water looks like? I don't. I've never seen a heap of water. Water doesn't heap. It is if God did this, and the water just starts piling up, piling up. It says it piled up as far back as the city of Adam, which is like 16 miles away, piling up, piling up. Can you imagine what a scene that is? Just a huge heap of water backed up for 16 miles. I mean, 15 miles back, there must be people sitting going like, this seems odd. Have you ever, have you ever, you know, is it supposed to do this as they're watching this water? Because remember, it's flowing really fast. How, how high does that heap of water get in the time that it takes to cross the Jordan River? How long does it take? for two and a half million people to cross the Jordan River. It's not just like, come on, everybody, let's go, and off they go. I probably took the entire day, if not more, for this amount of people to walk across the stretch of land now that was a river just a minute ago. So in that time, the water's flowing down. The wall of water is rising up. That would be a sight to see, not just for the Israelites, honestly, but imagine all the people along the way. Imagine Jericho. They're up on the wall. They're only, they're only like six miles from the border of the river. And they're up on their high wall, and they're just like, dang. <laughs> you ever seen that? You ever seen that before? I mean, they were scared before. I think they're sitting up there, and they've got their helmets and their spears and their, and their archers ready to go, and they're just like, <laughs> I would call that wondrous. God did something wondrous. And so now it's to them to walk across. It says that the, the waters went out, went down into the sea. Uh, the salt sea failed and were cut off. That means like it just, it just stopped running. And all the water from, the, from that point down just were cut off. And so people down that way are like, there's no water. What, what happened to the river? It just stopped. And the people crossed over opposite Jericho. 
Then the priest who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. See, God said, I'm going to do something miraculous. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet, but I want you to sit in anticipation of something great because I've said I'm going to do something great. And when I do that, uh, and then he begins to explain, when you see this happen, follow after God and keep God in sight the entire time. Don't just follow the person in front of you. Keep your eyes affixed on God. Now, what we're going to see is that as they go across, there's the priest, they're, all, they're holding the ark the entire time in the middle of the Jordan River. The water's rising up. They're just standing there. I mean, imagine the faith that these priests now have to exercise because they're not scurrying across. They're standing there the entire time watching the water rise up higher and higher. Like, whoa, come on. (laughs) This is what I ask myself. Why do you think God did it this way? Like, why do you think he did it where the river splits and the water piles up? I mean, why not? Just have everybody walk across the surface of the river. I mean, that would have been pretty amazing. That would have been a wondrous thing, right? To say, all right, everybody come down and don't worry. You're just going to walk across. I mean, we've seen that before. Well, we've seen it after. He does, has done that. Why not have the entire nation of Israel just walk across the surface? Just have the, the guys walk across with the ark and, and have the people follow walk right across the surface. I mean, that would have been pretty amazing, right? Would that have been amazing? I mean, I've never done that either. That would have been pretty cool. Why not, why not have with every step they take a rock rise up out of the ground and form like a rock bridge with every step? I mean, that would preach. I'm just telling you right now. I could preach that. I mean, I could preach the the truth of trusting God for every single step that you take for him to provide you a way pass through over the obstacle that you're facing. Like, why didn't God do it that way? That would have been cool. I mean, you see like a, a natural rock bridge forming as the people are walking. See, what we see is the priests are bearing the ark and standing there the whole time that the nation of Israel is crossing. I think that God did it this way because he wanted the ark to be central the whole time. The presence of God was in the middle of it the whole time. Imagine a wall of water piling up as the Jordan continues to flow, looking at this great wall of water, but not knowing, but knowing this, as long as the ark was there, there was no fear that the water was going to come crashing down on them. You know, I said that the ark is a representation of the presence of God, but it's more than that. It's a picture of Jesus. You see, it's saving them from the water. Understand, as long as the ark is there, the presence of God is there, it's saving them from the water. The the Bible uses floodwaters often as a form of or a picture of judgment. Remember the Egyptian army was 
was judged by God for going after his people when he split the sea and let them cross and then washed it in over top of the Egyptian army, judging them. God used a flood of water in the time of Noah. Anybody ever heard that story, Noah's Ark? And Noah and his family were spared from judgment by going into an ark. Okay, I know what you're saying, like, well... One was a boat, one was a box. Do you know when I was like, I don't know, 12, Raiders of the Lost Ark came out, you know that movie? Before I saw it, in my mind, I imagined what it was, and I thought it was people finding a big wooden boat. And then I imagined how surprised I was when I went to the movie, and it was a golden box, not a big wooden boat. So, but here's my question. How different was Noah's Ark from the Ark of the Covenant? Well, one was a great big boat, and one was a fairly small golden box. But both were places of God's atonement. You see, Noah's ark was, it says, covered with pitch to keep them safe from the water's judgment, right? He said, create this boat, make it out of this incorruptible wood, cover it with pitch. The word pitch in Hebrew, you know what it is? It's atonement. Go into the, create this box, incorruptible material that's covered with atonement. And if you go in it, you will be spared the judgment of the flood water. The Ark of the Covenant was where the priest would go in every year and sprinkle the blood that had been sacrificed onto the mercy seat on top of the Ark in order for them to be atoned for their sins, or for their sins to be atoned. Essentially, it is the same ark. Both places of God's atonement, both representing Jesus Christ. Because it was his atonement, it was his blood that was spilt to pay for our sin, to save us from the judgment that is coming. And so why did God do it this way? I think because he wanted them to recognize and for us to recognize that the central figure of, save, of atonement or salvation in these stories was Jesus. Not the bridge, not the water. Let's go on. Chapter four, you thought you were getting out early. That's too bad. <laughs> It says, and it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Noah, uh, Joshua, <laughs> saying, take, your tw- take yourself 12 men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, take for yourselves 12 stones. Um, from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm, you shall carry them over with you and leave them there, leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Imagine that, you know, these guys have, everybody's gotten across. And then Joshua says, you 12 guys, one from every single tribe, that means everybody's tribe was represented. He goes, I want you to go back in and get a stone, a large stone. It had to be large enough that it says that he, they put it up on their shoulder because it wouldn't be like coming in and be like, all right, I got mine and get, you know, from the shore. You had to go in and you had to get a big stone. So now they had crossed over, looking at the water, watching the ark, saying, as long as that ark is there, we're good. Um, but then Joshua says, you, 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 go. you got to go back in now. 
and get a large stone. They're like, oh my goodness, okay. Get in a big stone, put it on their shoulder, bring it out because he's going to tell them you're going to do something very specific with that place. He goes, bring it to you and, and where, where it is that you camp tonight. And then it says in verse 4 that Joshua called the 12 men who had appointed from the children of Israel one man from every tribe. And Joshua said, cross over before the ark of the Lord. The, the priests are still in the river, by the way. The priests are still out in the river holding up the, the ark while the water is piling up. And he says, um, cross over before the ark, your God, in the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on your shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, this, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean to you? He says, you, then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark, of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan and the Lord and the of the Jordan rivers were cut off and these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever he says you're going to get these stones you're going to bring them back and you're going to set up a memorial so when your children come and ask you dad what are those stones about he says you shall the implication in Hebrew is you must answer this way you must answer and say, that is, a, that is so that we can remember what God did for us in order for us to cross over the Jordan River. Now, what's interesting to me is he says, this is going to be so when your kids come to you and ask you questions, not so much a, mem uh, a memorial for you to remember, but for your kids to ask so that you have to enter into that conversation. And you know what? I, I, I've learned that kids ask questions. How many of you have, were ever a kid? <laughs> Kids ask questions. This is what they do. They ask questions. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to substitute teach at a school for, um, for a tech class, which was fun. But one of the classes were, were kindergarten age kids, kindergartners, like five, five years old for tech class. And the teacher had left me a note saying, some of them know how to sign in, but most will need your help. So when they came in, the, 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 it's like the teacher who has them all day long comes in and goes, here you go. And off she goes. And you're like, oh, excellent, 25-year-olds. So they all sit on the floor. They, they know what they're doing, I guess. They come in and they sit on the floor. Um, and then they just start asking questions. Mr. Lapp, where's Mrs. Filbert? <laughs> She's not here today. Mr. Lapp. Are you married? <laughs> yes, I'm married. Mr. Laugh, are you married to Mrs. Filbert? <laughs> no. No, I'm not. Mr. Lapp, th this one got me. Do you have a beard? I like, well, I used to think I did, but now I'm not. I'm not sure. Mr. Lapp, why do you wear two rings? That one caught me off guard a little bit. I was like, huh. I wear two rings because I bought this ring a long time ago as a reminder to me that I am the bride of Christ. Like, I have this one because I'm the husband of a, a woman. <laughs> a wonderful woman. I meant to say that part. That's the part I meant to say. But this one reminds me that I'm the bride of Christ. 
that's a little bit of a big uh, conversation to have with five-year-olds ready to jump onto their computers. But it was that kids ask questions. And their expectation is, you know the answer. And so God says to them, when your kids ask you these questions, I'm giving you the answer. You must answer them in this way that this is what God did for us to begin to teach their children what God, who God is and what he has promised. I'm sad to say that there's evidence here in um, the book of uh, Judges that this generation that crosses over, it says that one generation passed by and not a single one of those people either worshiped or honored or even knew God. One generation that happened. With this people who were, were with God in the wilderness for their entire lives pretty much until they crossed over, saw the fire, saw the manna, and their clothes never wore out, saw God then split the Jordan River so that the water rised up, went over, um, saw all of these great battles that we're going to go through as we go through, and still dropped the ball at some point in teaching their children about who God is and how to honor them. In one generation, gone. One generation, that's how quick it went. <sighs> Parents, <laughs> we have a huge responsibility, don't we? Huge responsibility to teach our children who God is and why we worship him. It says, you shall answer, you must answer, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark. And when it crossed over the Jordan, the water of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones from the midst of the Jordan. And the Lord, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood and they are there to this day. So Joshua says, you guys go from this land of Canaan into the river and get 12 big stones and bring them out and set up a memorial over here on dry land. And then Joshua took 12 different stones from the land and went into the river and in the bed, the riverbed where the priest stood with the ark, piled up the stones and made a, a monument there. Why? You have to ask yourself why, because what we're going to see is as soon as they're crossed over, what happens to the river? Floods back in. That river floods back in and covers up the monument that Joshua has just put in there. But then it occurred to me, this wasn't the normal time or flow for this river. This is harvest time. That means it's overflowing its banks. When, that, when there was a time of drought and the river dried up to almost nothing, what was visible? The memorial. It is in those times of drought that we need to be reminded of God's presence the most. Amen? Amen? I just love that he did that. Are those stones still there to this day? 
I mean, because it says there that they're, they're there to this day. So it was whoever was writing this down wanted to make sure at that time that everybody knew that if you go, those stones are still there. Go in time of drought so that you could see them. But are they still there to this day? And the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> but if you go over there and you find uh, during drought and you find a pile of stones in the message, please take a picture and, and let me know because I would be interested to know that. I am comforted in the fact that God says, I am going to be present and visible to you in the time of drought so that you're reminded of the amazing things that I've done and the amazing things that I have yet to do in your life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning and for this word, Lord, for the many reminders of your presence, Lord, to remind us that you go with us, Lord, that you fight battles for us, Lord, that we can rely on you, depend on you, place our lives in your hands, Lord, and Lord, that you go out of your way to remind us of these things uh, when, when we are in that time of drought, that we can look out and see that you are there, that you are with us, that you are for us. Lord, I thank you that you, through many ways in your Bible, point to the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of our sins. Everywhere I look, so Lord, no matter where we are in this Bible, whether we're in the Old Testament or the New, we can see that Jesus died for our sins and forgave us, Lord, and that we can be reminded of that and that we can accept that forgiveness, Lord. We thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that as we go out of this place today, Lord, we would be changed than how we came in, Lord, that we would be ready and prepared to go where you send us and say what you tell us to say to whomever you tell us to say it to. Lord, that we might be a witness of your power, your love, your compassion. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.